Hey guys, it's Mark here from the ETF Tracker Show, and this is the Interviews with Experts segment. This is episode number eight, and we've got a special guest on today. It's a portfolio manager from eInvest. It's Emily O'Neill. And if you weren't already aware, eInvest is a provider of various active ETFs. And Emily's uh, the one that she takes care of, along with another portfolio manager there, is an active ESG ETF. So all about that ethical and sustainable and environmental. So if you're interested in all this kind of stuff, it's a growing market and it's certainly something that's on our radars. So tune in and let's get to the show. And we're back and welcome to Emily O'Neill from eInvest. Hi, Emily. Hi, Mark. How are you going? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, for the folks that don't know, uh, Emily and I have been on a couple of panels together and we know each other through the eInvest uh, community. So it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. It's uh, talking about eInvest and our product MPQ is, is what I love to do. So very excited to have this conversation. Perfect, perfect. So what we like to do with all the different guests that we've had uh, on the show so far is get a little bit of a background before we dive into the nitty gritty. So could you give us a bit more uh, details about um, how you got started or interested in finance and what led you to working in ETFs? Yeah, sure. So I guess by way of background, um, none of my family, including extended family, is in, fin in the finance field at all. Um, but surprisingly, it's been a world that I've always been attracted to, I think, even going back to primary school. And wow. it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, it's kind of hard to explain why. But I guess the facilitation and movement of capital is something that's quite fascinating and also very confusing and, and understanding how that all works and actually is really important to the functioning of our economy. So I was kind of always attracted to that world. Um, I guess probably what I didn't appreciate the time at the time was kind of the broad depth of opportunities and career sets that do exist in finance. Um, I guess I started off thinking that I would be an investment banker because that's what all finance graduates kind of get pushed towards. And I was in an interview for a um, US-based investment bank for their summer internship program. And I, I think I had about 12 interviews. And one of the interviews with, was with the head of research at the time and of equity sales research. Mm -hmm. He basically said, you know, you should give equity research a go. And he told me about what that was. And I thought, wow, that actually sounds so much more interesting than what your first couple of years at an investment banking division would look like. Um, so I was actually really thankful he flagged as a career and I started back as a grad um, working with some of the best research analysts in, in Australia, which was really great. And, and I learned a whole, whole lot. Um, but during my time there, I guess I developed quite a big passion for sustainable investing. And there was an opportunity that popped up on what we call the buy side. So moving towards investment management. And I took that opportunity and I, so far I have, I have no regrets. I love it. And I just don't understand these days why you wouldn't be investing in a sustainable way. Um, but I guess we can, we can touch on that later. What I think is really important and coming back to that facilitation and movement of capital that I, that I referenced before mm -hmm. is that we want to support companies with funds that are doing the right thing for, for a better world and divert it away from those who aren't. And that's how we can make a real difference going forward for, for our future. 
Um, I guess coming back to your question on ETFs, mm -hmm. well, I'm a personal huge believer in ETFs. It's how I invest my personal portfolio. Mm -hmm. I think it's a fantastic way to diversify, um, to get access to professional management. They're easy to transact. They're, they're transparent. And that's how I tell all of my friends to invest as well. I think it's a fantastic product um, and that we all should be, be using them. Um, obviously we, we work with Invest to list the perennial better future fund through an active ETF structure, um, mm. called IMPQ. And also I just wanted to say before we jump into any further questions, that obviously sure. any information that I discussed today is not financial advice. You should always seek the advice of a financial advisor, read the PDS before you, you invest. Absolutely. Yeah, past performance is definitely not always a reliable indicator of future performance. Um, and so anything I discussed today is obviously general in nature. We'll make sure we put that in uh, the disclosures below as well. So yeah, you, you heard it right here, guys. <laughs> um, the, the other thing is it's, it's interesting, you know, the background that you've got there, because I always thought about um, when I got into the space, I started off in equity research too for a boutique um, firm, and then we joined an investment bank. But I always thought of it as investment banking is what you see on TV. And it certainly wasn't necessarily that in many ways. So it's, it's interesting to see, you know, another uh, kindred spirit um, in that space. But, you know, jumping into e-invest and what it is that you guys do, could you tell us a little bit more uh, about e-invest for those that maybe haven't heard about e-invest and also um, a little bit more about what kind of clients or, and, you know, services you provide to those clients? Yeah, sure. So Invest was founded about five years ago now um, by executives of Perennial Value Management and Perennial are a long-standing and well-respected fund manager going back over 20 years. And they saw an opportunity in the ETF market. And what they tried to do is to take professional high-quality funds um, where active management makes sense and put them in the ETF structure to allow broader access to, to the portfolios. Um, and Invest has, has done that with perennial funds and also Daintree funds as well. I guess um, the clientele is pretty broad based and it really ranges anywhere from university students, um, in our case, in IMPQ's case, university students who are interested in sustainable investing and are on the start of their investment journey. Um, but it also varies to mums and dads who are starting to invest some of their wealth. Um, it's used by financial planners as part of model portfolios or to build an investment strategy for their clients. Interestingly, about 30% of the register are females um, wow. and most of the clients are actually direct. So it is, it is really broad and I guess anyone can, can use ETFs just because of how simple they are to transact. Um, so it's really not excluding any, any people in the market from participating in our products. That's brilliant. And, you know, the, for the people that are just discovering ETFs, uh, I think many have had to have that choice between, well, do I go out and do my own research or rely on friends and family or the, the advice that you get on Reddit or Facebook to try to pick stocks? Or do I rely and trust on the management that can be provided by uh, an ETF where it's either going to rebalance on a certain kind of regular basis um, for the passive tracking ones or the active ones what, with what you guys have. So let's dive deeper into that. For those that might already know about IMPQ, that's great. Um, we've mentioned it on the show a few times and in our newsletters. Uh, but can you give us some examples um, of how eInvest, you know, the, the ETFs and especially IMPQ, how does that, how does IMPQ fit uh, within an investment portfolio? How do you position that? 
question. So I guess on the back of whether someone chooses to, you know, do their own research and mm. invest in stocks individually or, or go to an ETF portfolio that kind of can do that for you, um, I think why not do both? If you are interested in stocks and it's something that you enjoy doing as a hobby, go go for it and research. But the reality is the majority of people do not have enough wealth to be able to active, you know, diversify by just investing in individual stocks themselves. Yeah. So I really do think that people should be complementing their investment strategy with ETFs to get that diversified exposure. Um, I mean, our day job is to literally research stocks. We do that <laughs> every day um, and outside of business hours because it's something we're passionate about. So it does take a lot of time to actually go and build a portfolio yourself. So I think definitely go and if you're interested in stocks, go and do your research and invest in a couple of great ideas. Um, but definitely complement that strategy with some broader ETF exposure, um, whether that's passive or active. And actually, we recommend you do both. I guess where IMPQ falls in specifically to a portfolio is that we're really focused on small and mid-cap ASX listed companies. And these are companies that we say are positively contributing to a better future. And it really works well in a number of capacities for our clients. So firstly, you can just use it as a really strong performing Australian small to mid caps portfolio. Forget sustainability for a minute. Mm. doesn't even matter if you don't even believe that climate change is, is real. IMPQ can actually provide investors with a great diversified allocation to the smaller end of the Australian market. Um, and why do I think that where it, it works as a small cap allocation? Well, we have a pretty diverse um, holdings of, of stocks. So between 40 and 50 companies, usually our performance has been pretty good. Um, um, the portfolio manager is usually very conservative when he talks the performance, but it, it's super strong. So since inception, um, we have returned 21% after fees or what we call net of fees um, per annum, which has outperformed the ASX small lords by 7.8%. Yep. So what that means is that our investors were 7.8% per year better off than a passive index fund that tracks the small odds. And I think that's pretty powerful. So IMPQ is managed by perennial fund managers, which is myself and um, the portfolio manager, Damien. And we have one of the largest small cap teams on the market. So we actually have 13 small cap investment professionals. Oh, wow. So I'm pretty sure that's the biggest on the sell side or the buy side. So it's, it's a very well-equipped team, which really allows us to go out there and find interesting opportunities. Um, we've also got a really long track record. We've been managing small caps money since 2002. And we have a unique access to capital raisings and IPOs through our relationships with brokers. So um, for these investors, our focus on sustainability is a nice bonus to them. Mm -hmm. um, but it does provide these clients with an opportunity um, to take advantage of the increasing interest in sustainability, even if they're just looking for small caps exposure. I guess the other way our investors use our portfolio is through the allocation of the sustainable investment thematic. So we're out there looking for interesting companies that are contributing to a better future. So a couple of examples of those include industrial solutions company, Calix and Calix actually had a really interesting announcement today. And, and I believe at, at the time of speaking, it's, it's up 30% today. Wow. Um, but what Calix is doing is that it's actually helping to decarbonize the lime and cement industry. And the lime and cement industry is actually responsible for 9% of our global greenhouse gas emissions. And that's providing a huge role as economies and, and countries and companies are all looking to decarbonize. So they've made some really powerful agreements with some of the largest 
lime and cement and chemical companies globally um, to provide their products to help them decarbonize. Um, another example is the digital learning and assessment provider Janison Education. So they've helped to facilitate the continuation of educational outcomes for children during the pandemic. Um, that's, and that's a little bit of the flavor of the type of things we're seeking in the fund. Uh, some of our investors believe that it is just the right thing to do to invest in a sustainable way, but other, other people allocate it as an alternative sustainable allocation as they just kind of want exposure to that, to that thematic. That's pretty interesting that, um, you know, the label that I'd always imagined initially from getting introduced to this was that ESG tilt. And that's great. That's a noble kind of pursuit. But just knowing that it is that small caps focus, the, the size of the team. So obviously you're able to cover quite a lot more there and the companies that you just mentioned then. So there's probably many people in our audience that, you know, didn't realize that, wow, that's, this is all about innovation. It's not just um, mm -hmm. the ESG tilt, whatever your kind of beliefs are on that. So there is that, you know, value that's being provided to investors, but just back on the ESG side of things, and the, you know, got, harking back to the conference that we were both on, one of the things yeah. that we spoke about there, and for the audience members, um, it was a financial standard ETF forum, and it was a live event back when we opened up for a very short period of time, and then we had to close down again. Um, but for those that didn't know, uh, one of the questions that came to you was about greenwashing. And it's a topic that has come up from time to time whenever ESG is mentioned. Um, what I wanted to know was, why is it important for investors to, well, what is it, first of all, and why is it important for investors to, to look out for? Yeah, we definitely did have that conversation, Mark, and it's such an interesting topic. I guess greenwashing really is the concept that something is portraying itself as sustainable or green or environmental, but really it's more of a marketing ploy. And if you look under the hood, it's it's not all that it seems. So <clears throat> it can apply to companies and we do see it from time to time, but that's kind of our job is to look through those glossy sustainability reports and really understand the ESG risk of the business. I guess another issue that, that sometimes I talk about is that companies tend to be punished for not reporting ESG information than they are for reporting poor ESG performance. So what I mean by that is there's external data providers that provide ESG ratings and a lot of funds use these ratings to develop their sustainable products. Mm -hmm. And some of these ratings work on the premise of do you have a diversity policy? Tick one point. Do you have a standalone ESG report? Tick one point. Um, and actually the underlying information of those policies or reports actually have, have less relevance. So we take a completely different perspective, um, especially when a lot of our companies are small and they don't have these big budgets to produce these sustainability reports or to have dedicated sustainability staff. So we've developed our method internally to kind of look through those, um, I guess, shiny, glossy reports. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, it's also a term coined for um, sustainability labeled funds. So I have a really interesting statistic that, that I came across. We love um, statistics. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> so research from Morgan Stanley and Morningstar mm. um, recently actually showed that of the 1,000 new sustainability fund funds that were added to the Morningstar sustainability database, this is global, mm -hmm. um, into Q21 calendar year, um, I actually want you to have a guess of how many you think are brand new ESG funds to market. Uh, I'm going to go halfway sitting on the fence, 50% or something close to that. So you think 500 
of those are new ESG funds. It's actually 180. So that means okay, okay. 820 of the traditional, of the ESG funds that are new to the Morningstar database are actually just relabeled non-ESG funds. Wow. So they've taken a traditional product and they've said, we're going to call it a sustainable product. And that's their ESG product. So I think in some some circumstances, perhaps the fund has changed its colors and it's become genuine and ESG focused. But I want to guess that in a lot of circumstances, it's probably coming back to that greenwashing and it's a marketing ploy to capture some of those really large sustainable inflows that we're seeing into investment funds at the moment. And I just wanted to, I guess, emphasize that greenwashing is something that we're aware of and we're looking at and we're, we're super highly conscious of, but our approach is to be ESG first mm-hmm. and active management really makes a huge difference in this space. So as I mentioned, we want to support companies that are doing good things. As active managers, we can actually enter and exit stocks as ESG credentials or risks merge or actually go away. And I guess our key difference also is our engagement with companies. So being able to chat to companies and to talk to management at all levels of the organization provides an amazing lens for how the management of a company thinks about and approaches ESG. Um, It also allows us to use our investor influence to make positive change. So if we're a shareholder, they know that we have the ability to exit or to buy more. And so they're going to listen to what we expect them to do from both a financial perspective, but also from an ESG perspective. And so we've done a lot of work on that. So whether it's appointing a female to the board because we know diversity improves outcomes um, or whether it's making them go deeper into their supply chain to monitor those modern slavery risks that could be present in tier two or tier three suppliers or if it's helping them set challenging greenhouse gas emission reduction targets. Um, These are all things that we do on a regular basis. Um, That is really some of the benefits of why we think active management does make a lot of sense for for ESG. That's brilliant. And, you know, you harp, sorry, uh, that theme that we harp on about here and we hear many speak about in the industry is look under the hood. But we want to make sure that people actually, uh, you know, you can look under the hood. So for us, it's all about getting the data so that you can look at the metrics or you can look at the underlying holdings. And we've got a new app that allows you to compare um, the passive ETFs and see how, you know, they compare in terms of their under the holdings. So it's really interesting to see that, you know, you guys have, um, it's, it's not just taking what the ratings agencies provide, but you have your own process. And like you said, it's ESG first. And if we can dive deeper into that, what I find really fascinating is that you're able to talk to these companies. And like you said, it's influence or question and things like that. Um, what kind of things do you, you, you mentioned like modern slavery and um, females on the board, but what kind of other things do you talk about with companies? I think that's an important thing to, to you know, talk about here because maybe people aren't aware um, that within the ETF space that you know, there are these active ones that can do this type of ESG real deep dive. Yeah, definitely. So I guess it it does really vary on a case-by-case basis. So just like you wouldn't talk about the exactly the same growth and financial metrics for every single company. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, while same store per comparable period growth makes sense for a retail store, it's pretty irrelevant for a tech store because they, you know, they might not have those physical stores. So we actually really target the material ESG factors for each sector or each company. 
So in saying that there are a few ESG topics that are increasingly re- relevant and front of mind for, for most companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned, and you kind of highlighted modern slavery in our supply chains is definitely one of those. Um, another really important consideration that we're seeing more and more of and discussing a lot with companies is greenhouse gas emissions, carbon neutrality, and the alignment with the Paris Agreement. So even though Australia at the moment does not have a clear climate policy, we know that the economy is already decarbonising. So we're not waiting, um, investors aren't waiting, companies aren't waiting for Australia to make up its mind. So we know Europe has a EU, what they call an EU taxonomy, mm-hmm. and that's really helping to channel finance to support the growth of environmentally, environmentally sustainable industries, um, helping to prevent greenwashing like we spoke about, um, and also providing certainty of to which investment opportunities qualify as being sustainable. Um, a number of other countries have also proposed green or transition finance frameworks. So um, countries like the UK, Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, and Canada. So um, that's front of mind and investors are pushing on it. And that means that companies are going to have to move and they need to transform themselves and decarbonize. And that's really interesting where the small sector of the market is actually helping to provide some of those innovative solutions to helping those large companies decarbonize, like I mentioned with Calix. That's brilliant. And with regards to innovation, we've spoken to a couple of different uh, people in the ETF markets, from the exchanges to market makers to advisors and um, other ETF issuers. And so in your particular part of the market, the ESG and the active, what kind of um, evolutions or, or innovations do you see coming in that particular space as it relates to ESG and ETFs? Yeah, so I guess um, ESG has really evolved over the past two decades um, and it's quite different. I mean, sometimes we speak to investors and their idea of what ESG investing is or, or what typically was called ethical investing um, is quite different to what, what it can be today. So we've seen a shift from that more traditional ESG um, thinking, which was previously a negative screen approach. So it's also been called values-based investing. So that means that a fund is excluding companies with a certain revenue threshold to industries like alcohol or fossil fuels or tobacco, which don't align with the investor values. Um, But what is slowly happening is the movement towards what we've called ESG 2.0. And that's all about actively seeking positive companies or what I've mentioned before, which is, which is the better future investments. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a huge sophistication of ESG products and how they're looking at or measuring ESG and also a big focus on positive engagement and impact as well. And obviously all of this is what we seek to do with IMPQ. And the general benchmark for fund managers is lifting as well. So our clients expect a diverse management team or investment team is actually uh, managing their money. Um, If we're going out there and telling companies that we want them to have a diverse management team because it brings benefits, our clients want the same things for their fund managers. But they're also interested in our broader firm-wide initiatives. So um, we do a number of things internally. One way we're trying to have positive impact is from a corporate perspective is that IMPQ and actually the other e-invest funds plant a tree for every direct client to, to the firm. So that's just one point of differentiation. I mean, we are looking at it from an investment perspective, but also a corporate perspective is becoming increasingly relevant as well. That's brilliant. And it's good to know that it's not just something uh, that you go, 
do as I say, it's, you know, we, we do it as well. So, so that's really important. And, you know, really interesting to see that, uh, I guess, clients of eInvest, that feedback is coming through and you guys are doing something about it. So very important to know. Um, overall, for, for all kinds of ETFs, I guess, you know, there's all the different types that are out there, the tech focus, the healthcare, regional factor sector, but all of those, it, it kind of boils down to um, how do investors, uh, you know, what are the things that they need to think about? We're seeing a lot more questions as we deal with people, uh, deal with, you know, the, the questions that come up in the forums and what we see online. But can you, you know, give what your perspective is on what do you think investors need to look at in general when it comes to ETFs? Yeah, thanks, Mark. I guess one of the topics that we don't shy away from is the discussion mm. of management fees, because that is one when it comes to the active versus passive debate. Um, we know that passive ETFs do tend to have lower management fees than active ETFs. And that's really because active ETFs are managed by professional investors who are going out and seeking those investment opportunities for you. They're rotating the portfolio. We're engaging with companies. Um, while, as you mentioned before, passive ETFs are tracking the index typically and don't actually necessarily have a fund manager there choosing what goes in or out. Um, it's really based off an internally or an externally predefined benchmark. And typically that's rebalanced quarterly. So what you tend to see is that after fees, you might even earn less than benchmark returns because they have the benchmark and then they take off the fees. Mm. Uh, I think I've highlighted the strength of, of our fees to date. Um, and you can see that even after fees, investors have still been better off in our case. Um, again, uh, past performance isn't always <laughs> a reliable indicator of future performance, but we work really hard to maintain those returns. Um, and this is especially important in volatile markets, which really does allow investment managers to go in and take advantage of changing market conditions. So I guess another thing that... Um, I wanted to touch on here is diversity mm. is really important. So making sure you're getting exposure to different segments of the market and you're not having concentration risk in one asset class. And of course, I wanted to flag how critical ESG is becoming. So if you're investing, interested in investing sustainably, uh, make sure you're reading the credentials of the provider and making sure it aligns with what you'd expect to see in a sustainable portfolio. So what I mean by that is that mm. go in and look at the underlying holdings, like, like your tool provides, really transparent understanding of what's actually in the ETF. So, um, you know, go in and look at their holdings and ask, is that what I would expect in a sustainable portfolio? Um, in our case, we're always happy to discuss any investor questions that they have on a stock in the portfolio because we have a really robust reason for each and every stock that we include. Um, but I have seen sustainable portfolios that have companies like airlines, mm. um, coal mines, oil and gas companies. And for some, maybe, maybe they believe these companies play a part in the transition, but for others, this is not really what they're looking for in a sustainable portfolio. So it's really important to understand what you're getting. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, we are seeing a lot of traditional funds relabel themselves as sustainable. So just making sure it's, it's what you, what you're after. Um, I guess I'd also look at the track record of the provider. So how long have they been running? What are the funds under management? Who's the underlying portfolio manager? And, and what is their reputation? Because that's pretty important, particularly for active funds. That's pretty good. There's, there's a good comprehensive list of things, like a checklist that people should uh, look out for or incorporate when they're looking at ETFs. And I certainly see that uh, 
Some people probably don't do that because when you see the portfolio, they haven't looked under the hood because they've got really correlated ETFs and doubling up on, you know, the, the, the transactions and the fees for that. So just some of those basic ones, and especially if they're interested in ESG. So that's really good. And we'll make sure that we uh, provide various links to all of these kinds of things. And that article that you mentioned uh, before, that bit of research of the thousand um, existing funds, is that an article or was it uh, a bit of research that's not available? Yeah, so I, I believe it's research that's only available to institutional investors, mm -hmm. but we can definitely have a look and see if we can we can provide that. Um, <clears throat> but yes, it is it is an institutional broker report, unfortunately. Okay. No, that's fine. If, if there's anything that we can find, we'll make sure that we drop all that kind of stuff in the show notes. And speaking of which, um, if people are interested in getting in touch with eInvest, learning more about uh, the Better Future Fund, um, IMPQ uh, is the ticker symbol. Uh, if they're interested, how can they get in touch with you guys? Yeah, sure. So there's a wealth of information on the eInvest website. So eInvest.com.au. We've also set up a specific information page for this podcast. So just head to einvest.com.au um, slash ETF tracker. There's also a live chat function, which nice. is actually answered by our amazing head of investor relations, Jodie. Mm -hmm. And you can actually speak to her. It's, it's actually her during business hours. If you have any questions on INPQ or active ETFs in general, and we also have a pretty active Instagram page, which is at einvestau. So plenty of yeah. information out there. Make sure you equip yourselves because information is, is power. Yep. Um, information is king. It is very, very powerful. We believe that here. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, if, if people don't already follow eInvest, um, we, we are followers for sure. But uh, there's a lot of, um, I, I've seen Jody do these ask me anything type sessions, whether she's at the hairdresser or she's out somewhere else. She just sets it up and it's like, let's talk about uh, ETFs and you see all the different kinds of questions come through. So it is real. It does happen. And I've seen more and more people do it. So let's throw her, you know, definitely more uh, traffic <laughs> that way for sure. Um, but look, thank you very, very much. This has been uh, very insightful for me, even though I already know a little bit about ESG, there's even more. And as we have more of these conversations, I'm sure, um, you know, hopefully the, the rest of the crowd can benefit from it. But thank you very much again. Thanks, Mark. I'm really supportive of what you guys do. I think it's um, fantastic and can't wait to chat again soon. Perfect. Have to make it a regular occurrence. I think so. All right. Take care. Bye. And that wraps up episode eight of the interviews with experts. And thanks very much again to Emily and the crew over at eInvest. There's a lot of great links uh, for those guys. So make sure you check those out below in the show notes. Uh, we're featured there as well. And we've done a few things with them. It's uh, been an amazing relationship and we'll continue that on into the future. There's a lot of other great ETF participants out there and we'll do our best to get them on show. But if you're interested in any of the details from the segments here, if you want to ask myself or one of the guests, we include all of those links to follow along with them and reach out. Uh, yeah, they're in the show notes. So make sure you have a think about it, absorb all this information, learn from it and become a better ETF investor. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Uh, and also make sure to like, share and subscribe. Take care.